on this episode of AV Week, VizRT buys TriCaster maker NewTek, the rise of video walls, and hacking AV. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 396, recorded Friday, April 5th, 2019. Hacks and Wows. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Christie Digital. And by HD Base T. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, David Silverstein comes to us by way of Wirestorm. Welcome, sir. Hello. Nice to see everybody. Yeah, nice to see you, sir. Uh, actually, we have a couple folks that uh, have relatively brand new jobs. So we'll start with Mr. John Powell, uh, recently installed in the West Coast office of uh, our friends over at Varex. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, last but certainly not least by anybody uh, stretch of the imagination, uh, this is one of those times where I wish I had my old uh, instant replay from my radio days. I could play some sort of fanfare music. Mr. Chris Netto was a brand spanking new job at Did you miss me, Tim? I missed you, baby. There it is, man. I, you know, I've been gone for a little bit, you know, but now I'm back. You've never been gone. You're always on Twitter, so, you know. <laughs> Chris, do you just go to Twitter? That's true. Chris underscore Neto, just you know, search that out. Um, all right, guys, let's kick this off. A couple, uh, uh, this has been the season in, in the AV industry of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, it's been a long season, actually, because it, it seems like every couple of weeks, uh, or at least once a month, we have some, some something of significance. This week, uh, our story comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. BizRT is acquiring NewTek. Uh, if you're not familiar with NewTek, we'll start with those, those first. Uh, these are the folks who, who gave us uh, the TriCaster and every iteration and, and evolution of that um, software and hardware production um, combination. They are being acquired uh, by VizRT. And, and they're, according to the, the uh, release, it has a lot to do with the, the NDI, the NewTek's NDI software. VizRT is, is primarily a software platform. So, you know, what this means going forward is going to be very interesting to see what exactly VizRT does with NewTek. If it's just an acquisition simply to okay, say, okay, you know, we own this. Certainly there are merchant acquisitions where folks just kind of leave them alone. Uh, in the past where, you know, it, it, they're, they're creating a, a mass corporation and they're just like, run your own division. We just you know, kind of own you now, or they're actually going to use it to integrate uh, both, both platforms. David, I want to start with you on this. When it comes to a manufacturer and, and, com and companies who, who make software and, and hardware both, what are some of the steps when you look at acquiring or do acquire a company and say, okay, here's pieces that we can use, here's pieces that, you know what, doesn't exactly fit our business model, so you guys go ahead and just keep that holy? Yeah, when you get into the uh, merger acquisition space, it, it all starts with there's got to be some kind of business reason that compels the two organizations to start communicating to each other. Uh, it could be there's some sort of technology that one company has that the other one can benefit from. So maybe there's something that new tech has that VizRT could use and bring into their portfolio. 
Uh, but the other part of the puzzle becomes uh, if they're calling on the same customer or what they know, what you notice is every time you're going into a space, that same other manufacturers there with you, you realize if you join forces together, um, you would have the opportunity to get into that many more places. Uh, and that might be the case with these two companies in particular. Uh, the driving force that I see behind this uh, is the whole ESPNU phenomenon, where they've uh, really put together this concept of if your school's big enough and the game's big enough, we'll put you on one of the ESPN channels. Uh, but if it's not big enough, then we're going to put you on some kind of on our streaming service. Uh, so now, you know, Notre Dame is Notre Dame football is always on every channel every week. But, you know, Notre Dame lacrosse or Notre Dame soccer is not, but they are on ESPN on a streaming environment. And, you know, Notre Dame's a big school. They'll probably have two different two different studios, but some of the smaller or even the medium-sized schools, you can't just have two different studios to do two different things based on, hey, this week you're going to make it onto a broadcast channel. So some of those things of having that software flow organized for the basic stuff that they want to do and yet having the ability to jump to a broadcast channel might be very powerful when those two pieces come together. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, the article also mentioned the fact of, of both of these companies being pretty significant in the video IP space. Uh, and, and David kind of referenced that with, with the ESPNU, but also internally the way that they're both capturing and grabbing content. Uh, New Tech has made pretty good strides in grabbing uh, video cameras that have IP, that are, that are, that are IP enabled. So they're grabbing those streams making them accessible to, you know, the technical directors and the directors and the production assistants inside those trucks or inside those rooms, as David said. Does this give them a, a leg up or does this, you know, give them maybe uh, another, uh, another uh, place, a stature uh, when it comes to the video over IP space, whether it's internally or it's, it's externally like streaming? Hmm. Good question. I think that, you know, similar to what, what, what Dave was saying, these guys already own the hardware side of it. They understand the broadcast side. You bring in a company like BizRT who can do some creative things on the software side of the business. Uh, what good is the ability to transport something? You know, you're, you're, just you're just doing the transport. That's one thing. You're doing the switching. Why not have the whole, the whole picture involved? Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to, to, to what, what David said, um, it's very interesting when you start taking into consideration that whole IP piece, the streaming piece, because I, I for one, for example, see streaming as a you know, monstrous uh, opportunity, um, something that uh, every company is doing. And it's not just companies anymore. You now have YouTubers, you know, uh, occupying a lot of space over at NAB. Uh, you know, these people get, these people, these YouTubers get paid a lot of money on a, on a daily and monthly basis uh, from sponsorship bucks and stuff, the better their production quality could be. Uh, um, the better the production quality, the, the more the viewers. They'll, they'll eventually start seeing that. The guys that start off on little webcams eventually start moving into, you know, high-end production. So, you know, bringing in a piece like what VizRT did, and I have limited, um, limited uh, experience with, with uh, VizRT, but from a content creation side and, and what they can do for, uh, backdrops and stuff like that. It sort of seems like a, a really good marriage. Um, it's just weird for me to to hear this news piece because it's usually the the hardware company that is not 
taking the time to develop the software and just goes out and, and throws bucks for you know, a, a software developer to come in-house with their ideas. This reversed it, which is very strange. And that's why I'm hesitating even, even starting to think where this could go because it's backwards to me. I've always seen, and in AV, unfortunately, we are just one of those, you know, we can't get past the fact that we're very traditional. And usually it's the big guy buying this company, and I don't know the size of their money, you know, what, what they have in their, you know, what their financials are. But the hardware company usually buys a software company, brings them into the portfolio, adapts it into the space. This is the other way around. I'm not going to argue also that you may be onto something where they just bought it and set it to, to do their own thing. But I highly doubt it. I think there's a bigger integration piece coming here. I think that VizRT is going to be adding stuff to the TriCaster, which is a very popular tool uh, for, for, for many reasons. So that's a very long answer. I hope that answers the question. Well, it's also, I find it interesting, and John, we'll get to you in a second. I find it interesting that, that, this, was, that this news dropped a week before NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, biggest uh, you know, broadcast uh, trade show in the, in the U.S., it starts Monday. This this show will post on Monday. NAB will be going roughly uh, by the time this this show posts. So I find it very interesting the fact that this posted right before NAB happens. John, when mergers and acquisitions happen like this, how big of a concern is, is it for for integrators as they watch this? And, and obviously, there's there's not a whole lot known. We've watched other you know AV manufacturers, and, and those mergers typically take twelve to eighteen months to fully get baked in. But how, how big of a concern is it when you start seeing, you know, two folks that you, you use or maybe one that you use and one that you don't come together? I, I look at it as um, actually opportunity uh, for, for integrators like us to, to be able to look at different applications, perhaps for the, for the use of, of, say, the hardware than, than uh, we may have looked at before. And, and I look at it as... Uh, you know, from Vizart's standpoint, as, as a great acquisition from the standpoint, they're buying somebody that basically helped create the NDI protocol. And uh, I think that's, that's going to benefit them hugely down the road. Uh, and if you look at all the different players that are involved in NDI now, from Adobe to Panasonic to Everett's and DeltaCast and others, um, I think that uh, I think that it's it's uh, it's an acquisition that makes sense, and and I think both companies will benefit down the road. All right, very good. Uh, next story here comes to us from our friends over at AV Technology and, and Matt Prusik. Uh, Matt's right writes about the, the rise of the video wall. Uh, I found it an interesting uh, piece as we all just come, came off of Digital Signage Expo. I want to read a quote here, quote unquote. The display industry is advancing because customers are realizing a digital video wall is more efficient is a more efficient way to communicate with large audiences. Uh, that's from Gary Feather uh, from Nanolumens. Chris, I was out at DSC. Actually, uh, attended a press event with Nanolumens. They their uh, displays are all over uh, the McCarran uh, Airport uh, baggage claim area. So next time you're in Vegas, take mm -hmm. a look around. All those vinyls are now gone. Uh, every time, every place you saw a vinyl last time you were in Vegas, that's now a sign, right? That's now now a digital installation. First question, two two questions here, and I'll ask each of you this in turn. So, you know, John and, and David, you have a second. Number one, do you agree with him? Is our our video walls on the rise, and if so, why? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I just spent two years with a company, uh, so like Barco, that 
you know, this was where the market was going. Um, you know, take a, take a product like the Unisee wall, which is a great product, and I got to demo it and go around and talk about it very often. Um, you know, the reason why Unisee was created was for the control room world, right? And then we did a launch in, uh, you know, at, at, at the studio and, and showed all these people and I'm in the back raised his hands like, hey, I need this right now in my lobby. And there started what we had already anticipated, started a big push for, oh my God, we can't get enough of these out the door. We couldn't, we couldn't get enough demos done. Why? The lobby, the corporate lobby is the new amusement park for AV. You know, it is, I mean, without, this is the best description I have it. They want big. They want wow. You can thank the originators of this were the guys uh, that did, uh, the David Niles company, they actually uh, did a design down for the Comcast building in Philadelphia, which then uh, Salesforce replicated out in San Francisco. Um, those were some Barco products that were in there as well. So I know the history of it. Um, what they created in that lobby, again, it was just taking LEDs, putting the big LEDs out, getting that big wow factor. Uh, more for, it was more looked at as art than anything else. And then they put a Christmas program up which showed Christmas trees. And then all of a sudden they realized there were people outside taking pictures. Next thing you know, the lobby had become an attraction. Yeah. The amusement park. So now everybody likes that. Everybody, I mean, that was getting them on the cover of magazines that they never expected to be part of. You know, Salesforce was covered, that Salesforce wall got covered by Mashable. I don't think Mashable's ever really cared about a lobby, right? <laughs> you know, Mashable is like, you know, is, is, is for the millennials and 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 cool stuff that's on your phone and portable consumer goods next thing you know they're looking at that stuff so now there is this big push um whether you go to an aia function whether you're going to a build show like i recently did out in new york city where i was the only technology company amongst a place that was showing shower doors and elevators and you know what it's it's where we need to be as an AV as an AV industry because the design the people that were walking through that build show integrator were not integrators which is funny because I didn't know anybody except a couple of people that were there undercover after they saw that I was there and I know who you are all right so come on man I tweet they saw it they came into New York City they went to go take a look I saw them and I called them out uh, some I did it so I'm at this you know at this trade show this builder show and you're amongst these foot the, the people that are selling concrete footings and shower doors and so on and so forth why is there an AV company there well we were an AV manufacturer we're there we're showing our product because the people that are in that audience the architects the interior designers the property managers the facilities managers are all looking for that wow branding opportunity and what it's nice about digital sim similar to what you get in the airport, for example, if something's in town, flick of a switch, everything is now in DSC. Flick of a switch, it's now the next show. And especially in a place like Vegas, that makes a ton of sense. In a building, occupants change quite often, right? So in that lobby, you can be advertising so-and-so's company who wants to put their signage downstairs or the main guy. Hey, man, I can't say enough about big displays and what their impact are uh, right now in the building space. It's, it's an explosion that I think is going really well. All right, John, same kind of question to you. Is this a, a rising oh. market or, and if so, why? 
Absolutely. So we're, we're seeing customers request video walls uh, in corporate training rooms, auditoriums, uh, boardrooms, executive briefing centers, cafeterias, um, experience centers, emergency operations centers. I mean, there's, there's a huge demand for, for video walls today. I, and I think it really comes down to, you know, you've got the CIOs, the CTOs, uh, this, you know, the uh, CEOs that get off their planes, they, they walk through the airport, uh, they see the, the digital displays, uh, you know, uh, out there in the airport and what an impact that makes on them. They go to the mall, they see the huge video walls in the mall, and, and they realize what an impact video walls have on, on conveying their brand uh, in allowing them to, to provide um, uh, interesting messaging to their, to their customers. It's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of like that, that fad where, you know, uh, something comes out in the, in the home integration market, AV integration market, and suddenly translates itself into a conference room or boardroom because, you know, uh, a CEO or a CIO has that particular type of technology in their home. Uh, and I see that same thing happening uh, with, with executives as they look at trying to incorporate what they see uh, outside of their office in their office. So I think it's a, it's an, it's a great time uh, for expansion uh, right now in, in the video wall area. And you see it in council chambers, medical centers, college lobbies and lecture halls. Um, there's, there's seems to be no end to, to use cases for, for video walls. And uh, I, I only see that growing over the next few years. Can, can I just add something to this? I mean, uh, John alluded to it and I only reflected on, on lobbies. Um, the technology that we as an industry have been putting into LED walls uh, direct view LED walls, uh, LCD walls, with the, the bezels getting tighter and, 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 and seamless. A couple things are also aiding this trend for us. They're becoming more reliable. Uh, the bezels are getting tinier on the, on the uh, LCD, all right? Uh, LCD's proven technology right now. The little, you know, it's, it's been around for years, right? It's not a, am I going to go buy this and then tomorrow it's going to be trumped by something. They're going with a reliable product, whether it's LCD or LED. Uh, the direct view LED, tinier, tinier, and tinier. So now where at one point you needed a 20-foot space to put an LED wall in a, in a, a boardroom, you don't need that anymore. No. You know, the only thing that's still a little bit of a hesitation to people is calculating the distance that you need from the closest viewer and if it works within the space. Because what's happening also in the conference room settings and why LED is starting to make their way in there, man, if these architects and designers, the same people that showed up at that build show, start or continue, not start, continue doing open space with a lot of ambient light, right? That's tough on our projectors, right? Projectors are not going away but they're really fighting against natural light in spaces because of these open floors, glass and, 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 and things like that. The LED is the answer to that, right? And it's now finally starting to become affordable and it's also becoming a lot easier to maintain. 
you know, the advancements in that sort of stuff uh, as far as front, uh, front access. There, there's just, it's the right, it's the perfect storm right now for that to start taking off. Um, and it's been a little slower on the, on the, on the, like the conference room side, but I think we're there and it's finally starting to become a mainstay. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I, I want to say something, you know, at DSC last week, uh, one manufacturer showed off a proof of concept direct view LED wall that had a 0 0.9 millimeter pixel pitch and generated something like, I don't know, six or 7,000 lumens. Uh, it's, that's just an amazing uh, advance in technology. And, and, you know, to think that, that you can get that type of pixel pitch and, and that amount of lumens, um, it's, we've come a long way. Yeah, absolutely, we have. David, you'll have a last word on that? Uh, yeah, I think the other thing that we have to be aware of is the people that are entering the workforce now grew up with a phone in their hand. They've always had a laptop or a tablet. Now, in order to get them to get, engage in a meeting or understand what's going on in the lobby or to sell something in the store, you need to have something that distracts them from those surfaces. And video walls are that nice big thing that draws somebody out off of, hey, I don't have my phone anymore. If I look at, for example, the hospitality industry, you know, they're fighting with everybody's got a 70-inch TV at their house. Why would you ever go to the bar to watch a, watch a sports game? Well, you put in a video wall. You put in something that's larger or you put four games simultaneously, the things that somebody can't do at their home. And that's what, that's what they're looking to do in terms of engaging people is everybody's got a screen somewhere. You need a bigger screen. You need a different screen in order to engage them in the next space. And I think that's what, one of the things that's driving the big video wall draw. Yeah, I was. Uh, I did a, a story here recently about the Utah Jazz, and in talking with the the gentleman who who runs the facility uh, for the Larry H. Miller family, he said my competition, and this is meaning you know, the the space competition, is your living room, right? That's my competition. It is yep. getting you off of your couch and away from your 70, 80, 90 inch, uh, gorgeous you know display, gorgeous TV, and into my facility, right? So. All right, guys, uh, last story here comes to us from Commercial Integrator and an old friend of, of AV Nation and, uh, is uh, from Paul Konikowski. Paul writes uh, in this piece about hackathons and hackers, quote, unquote, in the AV industry, the concept of hackathons at trade shows are actually paying a hacker to exploit a network AV product or system is usually relegated to a fun topic of discussion, but perhaps they should be considered far more seriously. John, we'll start with you on this. Uh, is this something that, that uh, we'll start with the hackathon part first. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> but is this something, because this is, a, we, we have, I have at least uh, grown up uh, watching DevCom, watching other hackathons uh, for popular consumer products, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Is this something we should consider? Oh, I, yeah, I, I think we should consider it. Whether we need to do it in, in, uh, in such a public forum uh, is, is probably questionable, but, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've got drones flying around now at, at our trade shows. So, uh, why not a hackathon? All right. David, two part question. First of all, is John right? Should we, should we maybe not do this in public? But secondly, what's the, what's the benefit? What's the wisdom of hiring a hacker to try to break into your, into your equipment? Um, it really is a two-part question. So I'll start with, I think the industry as a whole needs to do more on security 
sorry, I'm going to say I just joined the uh, AVEXA committee to define what is it, what is SNMP, so that the industry can actually have a standard. Uh, we haven't really engaged in the IT world the right way as of yet. Uh, when we start doing those kind of things, then we'll be in a place where then we can call a hacker and have a hacker come in and say, hey, you're still missing here and here and here, or you've missed some things. Uh, you know, all that we've done so far as an industry is some people have thrown some security on some products and then kind of said, well, yeah, I'm secure over here, but not over there. And occasionally a hacker will show up and say, no, there's a black widow hole in the background or something, you know, whatever the, the Crestron guys got hacked, uh, what, a year or two ago in a public hacking forum. And it was good because, you know, like, like AMX or Crestron, they went and closed that hole. Uh, but there was no real there's no real industry initiative to say, this is how we're going to protect AV. And once we get to that point, then we can start worrying about, is AV protecting itself the right way? I think that's the real key to it. We, we as an industry has to have to address it. I don't think we as individual manufacturers should be addressing it. Although that's what we're doing right now because, you know, we got to protect it somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. Nobody has a standard, so there's nothing that any manufacturer can kind of get behind. You guys are, are kind of on your own. Right. Mr. Netto, you and I have been a part of a, of a number of different, uh, we did a couple of plug fests. We've done this, that, and the other. Is this something that either Infocom, the show, a mix of the organization, CEDIA, ISC, or, or, you know, other organizations that fully, you know, support and, and, and speak to the AV industry should promote, or is this something that maybe a third, you know, somebody, you know, kind of a rogue third party, you know, like DEFCON uh, will kind of say, you know what, you, we, we, we're finding these things in corporate, on corporate networks, we're going to start hacking them. Hey man, it's got to go rogue. That's the way I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and, and that's also part of my, my thing. I mean, this conversation came up, Paul, Paul uh, Konikowski actually brought this up during a conversation that we had on AV and the AM. And um, it was when we were talking about secure AV, there's a lot of different things that, we, that can be done or should be done, but aren't. Um, who's going to be the body that enforces it, right? So part of the thing, part of the conversation that we had that involved this hackathon, it would be a great idea to do it. Third party, rogue, off to the side. Manufacturers should pay attention. What is going to be done there is for their benefit. Um, I am also a fan of manufacturers going out and hiring hackers to come in and hack their products and get to it before the press does or before it becomes bad news. Um, we have to do something. It's a problem. Um, we can't be reliant on the customer and their firewall solely doing that. It's our equipment. We have a responsibility as well, um, you know, as AV people to lock our things down. Um, but there is two schools of thought, right? Or maybe there's a couple schools of thought and I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk it through. There's the, there's the side that says we need to be in the system to get monitors. You know, you have to, you want to monitor the system and it's a whole big push with, you know, people doing, you know, on, on the video conferencing side for years, it was always a, MCU with an offsite uh, bridge, right? Uh, but you're always tapping back into uh, into the uh, the corporate setting. Uh, now it's all right. We're going to set up these uh, locations at your corporation, but we need access in because you want to be able to monitor 24/7. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the best option until we can figure out what's 
you know, what's ailing us with the security stuff. Unfortunately, there's nothing that you can do. There's no silver bullet for any of the security issues. Everything will, that is unhackable right now within the next five minutes will become hackable as soon as some guy, you know, in a dorm room somewhere wakes up and says, I'm going to make that happen, right? So the other thing is you can close everything off and just go completely, you know, site-based location type system, right? That's a way to do it. For the AV integrator, maybe this is an opportunity for you to staff somebody on site. I know working at Fortune 500 companies that were pharmaceuticals, it was tough to be on site and have all the programs loaded onto my, my computer that I needed to access even the stuff on, on you know, in-house. So I'd always have to bring my work computer from the company that I was working in or, or, or a rogue computer that would operate certain programs that I needed to update code or to get in there and do these sort of things. So there's a couple different ways you can go about and do it. Unfortunately, there is no body or no, uh, it's not a trade association. There is no body that's overseeing this going, this is what you need to do because Who's going to do that? Who's going to take responsibility or be accountable for, hey. Or the liability, really what you're driving to. You it's, it's, it's a liability issue. So um, I think there's things we can do better. It's just a matter of now we got to stop being, um, not have the fear to do it. Yeah. That's the end part. You know, a lot of things that we do in this industry, we get so far and then all of a sudden we pull back out of fear. You know, it could be a liability issue. Sometimes you got to, you, you got to do the right thing. And whether that means locking it down and saying, all right, this is how it's done, so be it. But make a decision, one or the other. Get out there and, and, and get the problem fixed. So, yeah. All right, that'll be a good place to stop it. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, that is all the time we have for this week. Uh, Mr. David Silverstein from Wirestorm, thank you for joining us, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, how do people find you and or Wirestorm? Uh, you can, of course, fire, find Wirestorm at wirestorm.com. Uh, you can find me at david.silberstein at wirestorm.com uh, or, of course, on Twitter, I am Wirestorm Dave. All right, very good. Mr. Neto, it is a pleasure as always, sir. How do people find it's you? It's always fun. It's always fun. You can find me everywhere, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the internet, and now even more so. Uh, you can find me at Chris underscore Neto on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there as well. But more importantly, you can find my new company, uh, a company that I am now working for, uh, on Twitter at Starin underscore MKG. Uh, you can also find us at Starin.biz. That's where we'll find all the information that you're hopefully looking for. And um, you'll find me at Infocom. Yeah, oh, can I promote something while I'm at it? Yeah. Come on, man. Can I? I was going to mention it if you didn't, so go ahead. Okay, so why don't you mention it because it sounds more legit if you do it that way. Thank you. All right. Every Sunday morning, check out Chris on Twitter. Uh, follow the hashtag AV and the AM um, for, you know, you and about 15 million other people uh, that are interested in AV. Uh, just chatting away about topics that Chris brings up every single Sunday. So he starts roughly seven-ish Eastern. Uh, so regardless of where you are in the world, that'll kind of give you a time of when exactly you're, you're connecting. Uh, and I actually, that wasn't what I was going to promote, but thank oh, you. Good. Yeah, absolutely. What were you going to promote? I was going to talk about our uh, promotion that we are doing right now to help a charity down oh, in absolutely. the charity that we are working with for Infocom. So we launched yesterday uh, a program for a GoFundMe to raise money uh, for uh, a service dog for uh, a veteran who is suffering from PTSD. So we're trying to raise funds to purchase the dog. It's not something that's uh, very, it's, 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 it's quite costly. 
uh, where it's a lofty goal to reach, but we're hoping that between the people that uh, we're friends with online and the companies that we work with and just AV in general, that they see that this is uh, obviously a, a, a well worth cause. So uh, if you go onto the Starin uh, Twitter, it will be there pinned. It's a GoFundMe. It's currently floating all over the Twitter. It's out on LinkedIn. It's on people's Facebooks, but it's for a good cause. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up the fundraiser or for the, the GoFundMe at Infocom, uh, at the Infocom show as well. So I just want to say thank you and flip for letting me uh, talk about that. Appreciate Absolutely. it. And we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a link, to, a straight link to that on, on this episode's page as well. So thank you. All right, Mr. Powell, thank you, sir. How do people find you and or Varix? Thank you. You can find Varix at uh, Varix.com for your AV design installation and or support requirements. And you can find me at jpowell at varix.com. Right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters uh, at this point. Uh, the Blues are almost in the playoffs. So, hey, there you go. Um, I, I'm not a big baseball fan, so I don't – the fact that the Cardinals are back in town is nice for my wife. How about that? Uh, uh, but for, uh, for AV Nation, go by avnation.tv. avnation.tv, you will find this program and, oh, my goodness, a host of others. We actually have three brand-new programs this year. One is uh, Digital Science Digest, hosted by Lenore Lane. Uh, also, two brand new ones coming out uh, within the next four weeks. Let's just put it that way. One uh, is called the Executive Chair, where we are sitting down with uh, executives uh, throughout the industry and, and some of the even tech industry as well. Uh, and also, a new show uh, featuring how uh, architecture and AV and, and technology comes together is called Architect, and that lands actually this next week. On, on Thursday. So also while you're there, uh, check out our, our, our supporter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Weekend in about two months time, Infocom 2019. So all that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Weekend.